Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have JR and myself have a great conversation coming up with uh, a, a dear friend, uh, Jim Pace, and we're really excited for that. But before we jump into it, I just wanted to pause for a moment and ask shamelessly if you could take a minute and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. It means a lot to us. And also, if you want to connect with myself or JR, or um, yeah, just feel free to drop us a line. Our emails are attached to the show notes, and we'd love to hear from you and, and maybe even hear some ways in which God is forming and shaping you. Um, so thanks again for listening to the show. We pray that this continues to be an encouragement and an undergirding for the pastors and ministry leaders who are listening. Our guest today is Jim Pace. Jim was on staff and one of the pastors of New Life Christian Fellowship for 25 years. For the last 10 years, he's been consulting for churches and coaching pastors. In May of 2021, he stepped off the pastoral team and now consults and coaches full-time. He's also an adjunct professor with Leland Seminary and is in his last year of his doctoral work through Northern Theological Seminary. He has written one book and is co-writing another now on how young ministers can be wiser in their first few years in ministry to avoid some of the failings that many pastors have experienced farther down the road. We hope that you enjoy this conversation with Jim Pace. Well, Jim Pace, it's great to be with you. Thank you for joining us on the Monday Morning Pastor, my friend. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me on. I've been listening for a long time. And as I was saying, a long time listener, first time caller. So I'm really excited to, to be on with you guys today. Well, we love having you. And we have a lot of guests on where we meet them for the first time, or we often read their books, or we hear about them from afar, but it's our first time interacting with them. You're the opposite. We've known you for years. In fact, I, mm -hmm. you and I, it's been at least a decade. Uh, so we're in the double yeah. digits on that. And so, uh, anyway, it's really fun for Doug and I uh, through our connection, uh, through the Ecclesia Network and the relationship that we've had with you. Uh, mm -hmm. And we want to get into some of that and what you've been up to and what you've been doing uh, throughout the years. But for those of us, uh, those uh, we have your bio that, that people just heard. But for those who may not know about Jim Pace, what are some things that may or may not be in the official bio, but how would you describe kind of who you are? What do we need to know about Jim Pace? No. <laughs> That's a, that's a good, spontaneous, low-key question. Um, you know, I, uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing, uh, the biggest, the, the coolest thing, and this won't be of probably too much interest to too many people that are listening, that the coolest thing in my wife's and my life right now is we're about to be grandparents. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. We, yeah, we have uh, three kids um, that right now are all presently doing well. Uh, which if you have three, you, the odds of having all three thriving at once are through the floor. Um, so that's really great. Um, I just recently stepped out of my, my staff position with NLCF. That's probably been short of getting married and starting to have a family, uh, probably the biggest transition I've ever gone through. And so that mm -hmm. stays in my head just about all the time. That's probably, that's a, I mean, again, that's probably in the bio, but that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And 25 years with New Life Christian Fellowship or NLCF yeah. there on the campus of Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. What, uh, what do you know now, Jim, you wish you knew when you started at NLCF 25 years ago? Like, how, how are you different? <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. I, you know, it's funny. I, um, I am a lot more confident in the power of God and a lot less confident in mine. And I know that's a little cheese ball to say, but that actually is, I, I, I have, I'm much more at peace with my, what I lack and what I don't have. I, when I first came, uh, on staff, when I first went into ministry, I kind of had the mindset, I need to prove that I deserve to be at the table. I need to show that this is good. I need to prove to the other staff. Uh, J.R. Woodward is who invited me to come on to staff. I had to prove to him it was a good decision. I had to prove to my family that it wasn't a screwball decision to go into ministry instead of doing the um, doctorate in child clinical, which is what I was going to do. I, I had to prove things. And I think I'm just much more at peace. And, and and some of that's, I'm sure, age. Some of it is just you fail so many times that you just go ahead and get comfortable with that. And um, I, I think that's a, that's a, I, I value, I had to achieve, had to earn it and show it. I think, and, and the key part was I had to show it. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not completely out of that, but I'm a lot more at peace with that. I think one of the things that I've really appreciated about you over the years that I've had a chance to know you is um, the way that you all, but you specifically, have really done a fantastic job of equip spotting and equipping leaders, um, specifically at NLCF. Mm. How did you create a culture of equipping leaders? Mm, that's a that's a good question. I and I would say, I would say I didn't I didn't really create it. I uh, I inherited it. And uh, I participated in it, and, and hopefully I made it a little bit better. Um, I mean, there's there's kind of the the classic answers for how that happened. Uh, when when Jr. Uh, discipled me, my first several years in ministry, he showed me a lot of things. I learned things from Joe Rasick, who was also on staff at the time, and he uh, he he got started about six months before I did. I uh, I've learned all through, even up to when I stepped out of our pastoral team. I've been learning from people. I read voraciously. I try stuff, all of that. But, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing that happened was as I started, and you guys know how ministry and leadership is, that you're never on one stream at once. Everything is kind of moving in and out, right? Going up and down all over the place. One of the things that I, that I, as I was understanding God's power more. And I was understanding even just the apest giftings of Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I started to realize that, that, that there isn't a, that people are going to be brought together to accomplish a communal goal. And they're going to look at it and approach it in different ways. I know that's basic, but I started to realize that. And then what that made me realize is when people are pushing back on an idea that I might have, they're not in opposition to me. I stopped looking at people oppositionally. And I started to look at them as they they have a piece of this, and I might have another piece of this. And so I, I need to I need to look and see how the spirit is working through them, what he's doing in them. And it turned my my vision away from this thing I'm trying to accomplish and towards them to understand them. And I certainly didn't do it perfectly, but I, that was a, that was a huge thing for me 
that I was able to then begin to participate in how the Spirit was working in all these people around me. Maybe my role was to see how it all fit together. And so that I think that was uh, that's maybe the the biggest impact that maybe either I had or the thing that I learned. Mm, mm. So I'm thinking of pastors that I know that are that might be listening to this and saying, I know that like developing people and building disciples and looking for leadership potential is important. But Jim, I'm a pastor. I don't really know how to do that. I don't know how to do leadership mm. development. And so they really struggle with saying, I know what you're saying is true, but I don't know how to do it. Yeah. You gave one uh, principle there of, of looking like, what is the spirit doing in, in this person in front of me? What are some other things that pastors should keep on their radars and be looking for? Like, are there some, some easy, not easy, but some clear next steps that pastors mm-hmm. who may not be gifted in this can really start to begin to do that you've learned through your process? Yeah, I, I think there are. Uh, I, I think, in fact, in a lot of ways, of everything that I read and, you know, we, we, we overcomplicate it at what is at its base, a fairly straightforward process, which is to be able to take the things that we believe that God is trying to do through our body, through the, through the community that we're working with. I had to be able to break it down into pieces where that I could understand. Once I had those pieces, then I had to start looking to see, okay, what is God's provision for those pieces? Where are people that have shown interest? Who are people that are willing to? One of the things that we learned, especially as these emerging generations, Gen Z and everybody kind of continues to emerge, uh, we stopped looking for people that had it all together or that um, that, that kind of had their life under control. I mean, those people are great. But what we really started looking for is people that were willing to kind of share their life with us. And so I would I would try to find a connection between what we were trying to do, what they were excited about. I would try to break it down further so that then they could see how they could fit in. And I'd say, well, now let's just walk together and see how this goes. And then let's and and, and I think a key part is I, I had to lose some grip on the final landing point. Because when you're doing it that way, you can't get to a prescribed place at a prescribed time. You have to be willing to see, well, now how is the spirit going to take us? And how are they going to learn? How are they going to shape it? And I had to learn that lots of things are going to go badly, and yet the kingdom still moves forward. Hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're feeling like I'm not good enough, what what really, what I hear a lot of pastors saying, because now I, I coach a number of pastors and, and consult and whatnot, what they're really saying is, I'm not good enough to, I'm, I'm not meeting the level that's in my head of what successful leadership is. It, does that make sense? And, and usually that definition of success is almost always wrong. And so it's like, well, let's, let's, let's both look at how you're viewing what it means to be in the role that you're in. And then let's look to see how can we break things down so that people can participate in it in a natural way for them. Jim, this is kind of a bit of an exposing question um, in some ways, but I think, uh, yeah, just thinking about pastors who are listening, like, w- how would you define your measure of success as a pastor? Like, what were some some things that helped you figure that out? Or or if you have it close to memory, what what are those things that help you define success? I would say that's certainly been evolving. Hmm. Uh 
I would say now what it is, is my ability to maintain my direction and, and my, my trajectory towards the Lord, my closeness to him, regardless of how it works out for me and how I look in the process. I'm a, I'm an Enneagram three. And, uh, which means that I'm basically, uh, one step away from being a sociopath, I think. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very concerned in my natural state about how I come across. And so that was, he's just peeled that and peeled that and peeled that. Um, I think doing ministry well is I, one of the things that I, I, I feel is important is I, I want my, my shield of faith, you know, that I want my faith to be out in front of me. Like, and I don't want to protect myself from getting it banged up. Like sometimes if you feel like you're heading towards something and it's not going to work out, you know, if you're running straight at a wall, you see the wall, you start to slow down. I like, God, I'm just going to, I want to go for it. And I don't want to protect myself. If you, uh, sometimes you come through in the 11th hour and sometimes I smash. I just want whatever that is. We're just going to go through it. And then we're going to walk through the aftermath of that together. I think that's been important. One of the things that was in the last May, there was this big, very big, very gracious um, honoring event they did as I stepped off the the staff team at our church after, after like Greg said, 25 years. And it was funny going up to it. I, my head was all over the place. Um, JR, I mean, I would text you, you know, like, I don't know what's, you know, and, and I, you kind of imagine what people are going to say. And there were all these really big things that I felt like I had done. And when people were thanking me in, in public things and private things, nobody mentioned a single big thing, not a one. They mentioned that they were in the grocery store and I stopped it. I mean, which I mean, sounds so, but it was like that, that changed my definition of success is just being at peace, being connected to the Lord and not protecting my faith, but going for it and not trying to spin the result in a favorable manner. That's, that's probably mm. as good a quick definition I could give. I don't know how quick that was, <laughs> but that's, that's as close as I can get. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, 25 years at NLCF. So I'll just ask it directly, since this is the topic that we talk about uh, regularly. Why didn't you burn out? <laughs> uh, well, I almost did. Uh, when Chris Backard and I co-pastored for five or six years, and and in those first couple of years, he and I both were going way too hard, and I got to a place where my uh, this is so not the technical, but this is the 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 way that I understood it. The my adrenal gland off switch got disconnected. And so my body was pumping adrenaline into my system all the time, which is not healthy. And I had to learn. Um, and so that was like, okay, well, I'm either going to fall apart right now in the next two weeks, or I have to figure things out. And then he and I both, we kind of started to sort that out. And I, I over the years, the things that have helped me is I've had really good friends that I can vent to, that I can be myself with, that, um, I can do that. I have really, really close relationships among our staff team and in our church. Um, that's helped me so much. I think I have genuinely tried to stay close to Jesus. 
I, I haven't done it all the time, but I genuinely across 25 years would say more often than not, I have. Um, and I, I just found the work interesting. It was this, there's a part of my brain that was like, um, it was a puzzle you could never really solve because once you did, all the pieces got jumbled up again. And, uh, and so I was like, oh, well, now we thought we had it. Now, now, now this week begins. And uh, so, you know, I just enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, I, I enjoyed that part of it a lot. So how do you stay sharp and motivated and healthy in this new season where you've transitioned mm -hmm. out of being a local church pastor? Um, you've got a lot of experience behind you. You're coaching other leaders. How do you stay sharp? What does that look like for Jim Pace? Mm. I, you know, it's, it's, that's been a, that's been a transition. Uh, and I'm still figuring that out. I think one of the things that I know is that my brain, the way my brain is wired, it lights up when there are new ideas. And, uh, even if they're not a great idea, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't necessarily accept them all, but it just, I've learned, I have to keep myself engaged with new things. Um, I, I've learned this is, uh, you know, all these years, I, I would talk about the necessity of being a part of community and I meant it, but I was every day I was in different things with different people. We were praying together and we were talking together and we were planning this and it was might be teaching prep or all I was surrounded in this whole context of stuff like that. And you take that stuff away man, I really need community now. I mean, that stuff I was saying <laughs> was actually true. And I knew it was, but I didn't, I didn't feel it in the same way. And after 25 years, you don't even recognize that you're not feeling it in the same way. You just, it's just life. And well, when that changes, like I really need time with, with the body of Christ. I need that. I mean, there's a lot of days where I'm sitting right here on Zoom and I'm a pretty far end extrovert. And I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I, I, I've, had to, I've had to learn that. I've had to learn how to balance what I do and when I do it. What things can I do that are more publicly? I've had to learn that. I've, I've had to keep taking on new challenges. Um, ministry just brings them. You know, I mean, you have your goals and you have things you're doing and all of that. That brings it. But just <laughs> an average Thursday, you get a call and like, well, okay, there we go. You know, and it's on. Um, I, I find I have to be a little more proactive. Okay, what what's a new thing that I would like to develop in, and how would I like to see this grow? And I, I, so I'm, I'm I'm having to be more proactive in most things is probably the best answer to how I stay sharp hmm. to the extent that I do. <laughs> yeah, I think back to early on um, in this interview, you mentioned you know I have three kids that are all doing reasonably well, which is you know really. <laughs> something spectacular. I have two and, and that, you know, having both of them do well is, yeah, you know, the odds. A, yeah, it's pretty low. Um, the, the odds are stacked against us, uh, most mm -hmm. of the time. Um, but I think just thinking about ministry and family, yeah. what, what is, what, what has the toll of 25 years of ministry over 25 years taken on your family? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, exacted a significant one. I mean, you know, when, when you compare it to the toll that it takes on other people around the world, it's, it's not, but for us, it's felt really hard. Um, my wife, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I'm a, 
you know, and, and I, I can connect with people pretty easily and feel close to them. Sometimes I tend to feel closer to people than they feel to me, but it works for me. I don't know. And uh, my wife is an introvert and she builds friendships slowly. And we're in Blacksburg, Virginia, where um, I think it was Robbie Poff said this, one of my co-pastors, he said, and one of my pastors now. And he said that you people get here with the plan or the thought of, okay, when am I going to leave? It is a, you know, and that's, and that's just not students. That's, you know, that's, it's a very, there's a lot of in and out. And that took more of a toll than, um, than either one of us would have guessed. Uh, the, a couple years ago I had to, there was a season where I was kind of, we have two congregations that are part of our church and for a, for a brief season, I was kind of having a role, a, a leadership role in both. And so I was kind of hopping back and forth between both. And one of the things that happened is uh, it made me feel more connected to both and it made her feel less comfortable in both. And I didn't see that. I just missed it. And it's it's things like that. Our, our kids have always, we've always been the one that's one step farther than most other people around us. When we first had Noah, the first child in our church, who's now, he's getting ready to have a child, which is nuts. Um, when, we, when we announced that we were pregnant, people had no idea how to respond. They turned around and looked at us like we had done something wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's for real. And my oh, wife still man. carries that, that, that pain. We, we, that for someone like me, that's exciting. Cause you're preparing the way for someone like my wife, that's a weight. And, and I, I wish I would have seen that better, been more attentive to it. Um, I mean, she's great. We're great. You know, we're doing fine. But those costs, you, you, you see them after a while. We'd love to say, I'm noticing this for the first time today at a 5% level. I'm like, well, let's figure out what we can do. But we don't notice it at a 5% level. You know, we notice it when it gets to 35 or 40 or 50, when it's, when it's become significant. Some of, that, some of that is just, that's just hard. Um, God's, you know, God's been good throughout it. He's provided things along the way, but we didn't know how to be married. We didn't know how to be parents. We didn't know how to do anything. And, uh, that was really tough. And so th I think those are the things, you know, it, it, when you, and probably because I just stepped out of it, I'm looking at the whole thing of it and not just the last season, the whole thing of it has been the, the cost of good local friendships for Trace. Mm. I think that's mm. been the toughest thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, thanks for your honesty on that. You've mentioned the impact of your family and on Tracy. What has the mm -hmm. toll been on for you, like for, been for you personally? Uh, at different times, it's different things. Um, you know, when, when the Virginia Tech shootings happened on April 16th, three of the people that were killed had gone to our church. And I would say, I, yeah, we all know the joke about pastors' numbers. I'm, I don't try to exaggerate a thing with this. A um, hundred or more people in our church were like one relationship away 
their girlfriend had been killed, their professor. One of the professors that was killed was killed while he was literally holding the door closed. And, uh, and I don't know what that does. I mean, I know what it did. <laughs> I don't know how long that follows. Um, there have been relational difficulties that uh, with with other leaders in our church that have have exacted a toll, and I, I don't fully know how that fully resolves. I'm not sure that it has fully resolved. Um, it it made me for a while a kind of closed off because I these really, really close friendships kept leaving. And I knew I could make new ones, but starting a new one and having an established one right there down the street is not the same. And so there was a period where I was kind of closed off and then I had to reopen and that's its own kind of pain. And and so it, it, it's kind of, and then there've been amazing moments. And, and the hard thing about ministry is it's all of that compressed into one thing all the time. You're always dealing with these highs and lows, whether in your life or someone else's, and you're you're dealing with the things that really shock you and the things that don't, the things that just kind of wear on you. And you're adding to it this other thing you're trying to do and this challenge that this person is facing. And you're it's ministry is all of that compressed into a day every single day. And you just have to find a way to meet God in it so you can handle that. If you don't, you don't, I, you don't, you don't stay in ministry very long or you and, become one of those people that's still in it because you're trying to aim for retirement, but everybody's like, oh. <laughs> well, and that okay. compressed time that you're talking about is why your adrenal gland switch didn't turn yeah. off anymore, yeah. right? right? Because all right. of that is compressed into 24 hours where most people would be I don't know, a month or a few weeks yeah. at least. And that was, and, and at that time it was added to the fact that we, you know, we had this really big church, which was absolutely my, I'm a three, my definition and I'm, I'm apostolically gifted. So I'm kind of like wired to be that. And, and then we sent this church plan out to Los Angeles and it was very cool. And we had, we made this claymation video for it. And we were just so cool about what we were doing. And then Chris and I were ordained together and the church dropped by hundreds of people in the span of a year, year and a half. And, and it felt like we're killing this thing that was thriving. And mm. so I was trying to prove that I wasn't really doing that. Mm. And, and, and what I had done is I ended up, this isn't the question. So, I mean, we can, well, we can edit this out, but what I had, what I did, and I see a lot of pastors do this is I was saying that I was serving God's kingdom, but I was really trying to build my own. I was trying to show that Jim Pace had credibility and he had value and he is worthy of respect and he wasn't a screw up and all of that. And all of that combined with, combined with that compressed stuff that we were talking about equals adrenal gland says, oh yeah, cool. Let's just keep pumping it. That's not a great thing for your body. I'll tell you, we won't go into what it does, but it ain't great. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're talking about adrenal glands and mass shootings on college campuses. 
and you know, he- heavy stuff. Yeah. What, uh, as you step back, I mean, in some senses, your nose has been against this several story mural, right? You've been in it every day, but now that you've stepped away from being on staff and you're helping pastors and churches around the country, you're getting a chance to almost kind of go across the street and see from a block away the whole mural. Yeah. So what, what are you noticing around the country? What are you noticing among churches and pastors you talk with, not just in mm-hmm. Virginia, but around the country? What are you noticing that encourages you? Oh, man. You know, I see... Like there's a there's a tendency, you know, we, we've been going through this COVID season and who knows how much longer we're going to be going through it. Right. I mean, this is, you know, who, who would have thought we'd be going through it this long? I remember Chris Backer, we were we were talking about it like in February, March of 2020. And I'm like, OK, well, by June, it'll be he's like, no, nah, man, no, nah, it's not. It's not. and I thought, please. Chris always worries so much. It's not that he, he's brought that to my attention a number of times. but. You know what? And, and when you go through something like this for this long, the weight of it is is not the acute hit and fear of it. That's not what we're dealing with anymore. You're you're dealing with the weariness of it. They're just we're tired from it, and we're tired of all the extra things we have to think about and all of that. What I see, um, our pastors are they're they're being creative. They're coming up with interesting ways of doing things. They're willing to do things in different ways. I honestly think among the churches, what what I'm seeing consistently, and, and you guys maybe you're seeing this as well. Almost every church that I know of is smaller than it was two years ago, but it's got a higher concentration of people that are more committed to the vision of that church. Whether it's a good vision or not, they're committed to it. And because everyone else has left. And so there's almost been this kind of pruning. You know, God didn't cause COVID, you know, this all this, we, we can avoid all that kind of. But he takes those opportunities to accomplish something. To and and we've been through a few pruning cycles with NLCF over the years. And and the reason that you prune is to strengthen the root. And its connection to the earth, the ground, and to be to be more anchored, to take in more nutrients. I, I, here's what I think: think of the pastors and the churches that make it for the next five years. Unfortunately, uh, there will be a number that won't. But for the ones that do, I think we're going to have tougher, more faith-filled followers of Jesus. Is what I think. Now, there's going to there, we've all been banged up by it, so it's not like this. I don't know, this happy, happy, joy, joy kind of idea that I'm talking about. But I think there's a there's something that the spirit is doing. And I see a lot of people participating in that. I see people being willing to step into situations that two years ago made them very uncomfortable, but they're willing to give it a try. Kind of because you have to and kind of because they're willing to. I I I see a lot of that all over the place. This I don't I don't see this as a season of doom and gloom. The kingdom, the, the biggest miracle short of the resurrection in the scripture is that the church made it out of the first century, in my opinion. There's no reason it should have made it, except for the spirit saying, this, this, we're doing this this way. The, the church has handled things like this. We're going to be fine. But it's the question is, will people participate in that? Or will they resent what isn't because they liked what it used to be more? 
And I think the people that make it through the next five years are going to be, it's going to be cool to see what the spirit does with all this. I'm, I'm excited about that. I don't know if that sounds, but I, I genuinely am. There'll be a lot of difficult things we got to figure out, but we can't. Yeah, Jim, I think that's just really, really encouraging to even just to remind pastors that it's not um, that the years that are coming are it's difficult. We don't have an easy road ahead, but I think to see it as an opportunity to say, maybe God's forming something really unique in this season. Mm -hmm. Maybe the spirit's up to some good things. Um, And I really appreciate that perspective. Um, you know, we've got a couple minutes left and I, I just wanted to give you just one more chance um, and just a few moments, like what are other encouragements that you would have for pastors right now who are just feeling really tired on a Monday morning? Mm. I, I, I think one of the things that we try to, um, again, I, you know, if ever anything sounds too cheeseball, I feel a little weird saying it, but there's just a, some, some things that I, A big thing for me over the years was to realize that God sees the difficulty. It's not lost on him. You're not lost in the dust that this world kicks up. And so um, um, those things that you're struggling with, some that are fair and some that inevitably are not, he sees that. And it seems to matter to him a lot. And one of the things that we would talk about in NLCF quite a bit is that God doesn't just love you, but he, he likes you. And, and that really, that's a very, that's, that matters a lot to me because there were, you know, times in my childhood where I, I knew someone loved me to say that they love me. It was kind of like, that's the obligation. That's the, you know, well, I, I have this connection to you. I love you, but I was pretty sure they didn't like me. And so I struggled with that with God a little bit and to see that he is not, he's not wanting you to be six months more mature than you are and looking down on you in disappointment because you aren't like, you're not six months behind. I mean, all of us probably are, we could be farther if we would, you know, I mean, sure. Let's just say that, but he's not looking at you. He's enjoying the process of you becoming who he created you to be. And as pithy as that, I think sounds it, I'm, I didn't see that. What I saw was where I was messing up and where I wasn't doing what I could have done, where I was missing things, where I was causing hurt, all of that. I, I think in the midst of this, there, where, when I could just see that God is with me and feel it, I, my enjoyment of the process, even the insanity of it, all the stuff compressed into a day like we were talking about, it became like, okay, well, God, you're, you're here. So let's go. And tomorrow we'll get up (laughs) and we'll go again and let's see what crazy comes then. But I mean, I I think it, it allowed me to enjoy it more, uh, because it was okay. He's not constantly looking down on me in disappointment. He's like, that's Jim. He's, you know, he's ridiculous in some things, but he's great. And, you know, that was hard for me to accept. I really, that was, that's for some people that's like, well, yeah, I please. That was, I had to wrestle with that when I got that. 
And I would say that there are probably a lot of pastors, pastoral ministry attracts people, I think, disproportionately that want to prove something, Mm. that feel the need to prove something and to hear that you don't have to. And even if you try, you can't. And to let that sink into your spirit, I, um, that was life to me. Uh, I don't think I ever fully got over it. You know, mm. I, that's something you just wrestle with. You know, that's the thing that you're just, ah, oh, crap, that again. But, you know, when you see it and you know, and you can tell some people around you and they can be watching and I, it, that was life to me. Mm. Jim, that reminds me, uh, there's a Christian comedian from years ago named Ken Davis, but he had this one line and he was being dead serious, not funny. He said, you know, true freedom in Christ is when you have nothing to hide, nothing to lose and nothing to prove. Yes. And, uh, that's a profound line that, that he said and a profound line that you said, that just that ministry is profoundly, is profoundly tilted uh, in the direction of those who are trying to prove something. Boy, that's, there's a lot of truth in that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm wondering, Jim, just as as we close here, would you be willing to just give like a final, like a benediction or a word or a prayer, whatever you want, maybe in the mm-hmm. vein of encouraging pastors to not feel like they need to prove anything, but can yeah. you just send us out with some sort of blessing or benediction or or word to to pastors as we end? Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Thank you. I, I just, I, I'm just going to speak directly to the pastors that are out there, because I always appreciated when on this podcast or others, people would just talk directly to me. Uh, the, my prayer for you is that you would be able to see with clarity what you consider to be success, that you would see with clarity what you think you need to accomplish in order for God to love you, to like you, to not be disappointed in you. I know that all of you, if someone would ask you, could give the right answer. You could probably drop a couple Greek words and that would be cool and you could do all that stuff. But our souls function at a different, on a different frequency than our brain. And so I would ask that you would be willing to take some time over the next few weeks and ask yourself, what am I really going for deep down and just lay that before the Lord. Give him your success. When, when we're told to um, present our body as a sacrifice, we're not told to bring something, an accomplishment, an animal, whatever it is. We're told to climb up on the altar ourselves. So just give him your success. Give him your sense of accomplishment. Give him your sense of worthiness. And then just see what he gives back. Just trust him in this area. And let's see what he does. My prayer is going to be that you're able to do that. That's it. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of MMP. Our passion is to serve, partner with, and equip hungry pastors and kingdom leaders just like you. Have you signed up for the Kairos Partnership's free weekly newsletter called Five Things in Five Minutes? It's free and it's delivered to your inbox every Tuesday morning. 
It provides valuable thoughts, links, questions, and quotes to equip you for the ministry and leadership journey. And the entire thing can be read in five minutes or less. To sign up, log on to kairospartnership.org slash 5T5M. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.